God is in the restoration business. Did you know that? It's what his story is all about. And the story of God's restoration is in this thing called the Bible. It's a story of, of the rescue operation that he's engaged in, how God has been up to it since the beginning, how it's continuing to carry forward even through today, and what the end game is going to look like at the end. This story of God's rescue and restoration is found in this thing called the Bible. And let's just be honest, it can be hard to read. It can be confusing. It's easy to get lost written by authors over a thousand years ago, some several thousand years ago, different cultures, different languages, different places. Who has ever got lost in the Bible? What we're doing this year is going through it with a guide, and that guide's name is Paul. Now, Paul actually wrote half of the New Testament, half of that latter half of the Bible. But what I like about Paul, despite the fact that he gets stereotyped in all the wrong ways and some people find him hard to understand, is that he's the one that's done the really hard work of showing how all of that stuff that God has been up to in the Old Testament makes sense and applies to us in light of what he experienced with Jesus' death and resurrection. And so what I'd like to do today is help take you that next step on the journey with Paul, understanding this guy and helping you see him in a new light, but more importantly, through his eyes, seeing what God is up to in his scriptures and what God is up to in the world. And the heart of Paul is this thing called the gospel. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. For some of you, it might be a brand new word. You're completely unfamiliar with it. You've heard it maybe, but no concept or mooring of what it means. There's some of you, though, here today that have grown up in church communities, and, and, and for years you've been a deeply devoted follower of Christ, and you have this idea of the gospel as well. It probably goes something like this, that Jesus died for my sins, and I can have a personal relationship with him and eternal life. And while, let, hear me loud and strong, that is core to the gospel, if that is the sum total of the gospel for you, may I suggest you don't know the gospel and you don't know Paul. Because that view of the gospel, while true at a burning core, is myopic. And what I'd like to do is expand your vision today of what this thing called the gospel actually is, especially for this guy named Paul. Now, the heart of Paul's letters is, is this, this, this specific letter, this book called Romans. You ever hear of it? It's a big one, all right? And I want to invite you to turn there with me today. There's Bibles in your chairs. And what I'd like to do is invite you to turn to Romans 1 because the beginning of Romans 1 gives us a, a taste of what the gospel is about for Paul. Now, let's start with context. Romans is a letter. It's not a book, it's a letter, a letter written by Paul, a personal letter written to this church in, in guess what city? So it's greatly named, isn't it? In the city called Rome, in which he's sharing with them what his gospel is all about. Now it begins, Paul, 
a slave of Jesus the Messiah. I know as yours says, servant of Christ Jesus, my version's better. <laughs> Called to be an ambassador. I know yours says apostle. Mine's better. And set apart for the gospel of God. Now, ancient letters are a little bit different than the way that we write letters today. You were to take out a pen and paper and compose a letter, or get at your keyboard, and start writing a personal letter to someone, there is a certain, a certain protocol that we follow, right? Two, dear so-and-so, the body of the letter, and then we conclude it by saying who it's from. So if I was to write a personal letter, let's arguably say to some guy named John, how would it start? Dear John, two, then the body, you smell, <laughs> then who it's from, sincerely Dave, right? But ancient letters are written more like modern emails. From, to, regarding. So what would my email be of that same letter? From Dave Gadini to John, regarding your smelliness. Let's see what Paul has to say. From Paul a slave of King Jesus, of Messiah Jesus, the Christ. Do you realize that Christ is not Jesus' second name? It's a title. It's a title that, that's the same title as Messiah, just a different language. It means anointed one, but who are the anointed ones in the ancient worlds? Kings. So what you could say is Paul, a slave of Messiah Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, of, of Jesus the King, called to be an ambassador. Who's this guy, Paul? He's an ambassador. It says apostle here, but apostle's a Greek word that just means, well, ambassador. And set apart for regarding this gospel. This gospel that I want to tell you about today. Now, do me a favor. Read the rest of this. Take about 30 seconds and read through verse 7 and see what Paul has to say. Now, it's fascinating to me that if I was to talk about the gospel, all those things Paul mentions except for the name of Jesus are probably not the things that I would say. If someone pulled up a chair next to me and said, hey, tell me about the gospel, I would probably tell them about Jesus' death, which isn't there. I would probably tell them about the forgiveness of sins, which isn't there. I would tell them about things like a personal relationship with a God who loves you. I would tell them about things like eternal life, maybe even heaven. Did you see any of it there? So what is this thing called the gospel for this guy named Paul? and the story of God's rescue operation in this world. Well, let's begin with context. Paul wrote Romans to who? Verse 7 will say it. To those in Rome. To those in Rome who love God and are loved by God, who are called to be saints. I like holy ones. My version's better. All right? To those who are in saints who are called by God, 
who are his holy ones and called to be holy, who are loved by him and who love him in return. Written to Rome. Written to Rome. In the first century, written to Rome. And what do we know about Rome in the first century? Superpower of the day. See, Paul didn't write in a vacuum. And he didn't write with our 21st century questions. He wrote to a first century community with the questions and issues that they faced about this thing called the gospel. And here's what he had to say. Because see, there's this thing called Rome, who was the superpower of the day. Let me tell you a little bit about Rome. Rome positioned itself through its propaganda machine in a number of significant ways. First, Rome claimed to be ushering in a new and golden age. Since the days of Caesar Augustus. Augustus, by the way, we think of it as Caesar's name. It's not his name, it's a title as well. It means something like revered one. Since the day that Caesar, the revered one, took power in 27 BC, the people of Rome and its empire positioned themselves as we are entering a new golden age, an age where, where goodness will come, a day when justice will be done, a day when prosperity and all that we hope for and dream will come to pass if you can just be a part of the hope that is Rome. Rome, on many occasions, would call themselves by things like this, Savior, even at times calling themselves Savior of the world. Emperor worship cropped up throughout the Roman Empire as people would burn incense to Caesar, declaring, Caesar is Lord, master and ruler of the world. Ancient statues will even show the Caesar standing there with a scroll in its hand, almost as if the destiny of this world and all history are controlled by them. In fact, this, this increased so much so that other things would be applied to the Caesars as well. In fact, at times they would even be called the sons of the gods. There's this one inscription I want to show you today to try to give you a flavor of the thing and belief that was Rome. This was written in 9 BC. It's an inscription that's found in, in what was called Asia Minor, uh, Turkey of today. It's an inscription commemorating Caesar Augustus, Caesar the revered one, saying, you know what? This guy is so much. This guy is all that and more. We want to mark time by him. We, we want to redo the calendar and mark his birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the year because in Caesar, a new history and a new day is dawn. Check this out. Check this out. I'm going to go past that. Caesar's birthday is a day which we may count as the equivalent to the beginning of everything. Okay, like understatement of the moment, Right? It has restored the shape of everything that was falling apart and has given a new look at the universe. Okay, there's like no ego here, right? At a time when it would gladly have welcomed destruction. The universe would have welcomed destruction. It was so bad off, but, but Caesar's come. And had he not been born, oh my gosh, what would have happened? But look, he's been born and he's the blessing of all men. It gets deeper. Since providence, capital P, think of it like divine, think of it like God. Since providence, which has ordered all things and wants a personal relationship with you, has ordained that the most perfect consummation for human life should be done by giving it to us, Augustus. 
whom she's filled with virtue, that he might benefit humanity, sending him as a savior for you and your kids and your children's children's children. And that the birthday of, there it is, the God, Augustus, was the beginning of what? The good news for the world through him. Do you know what the word gospel means? Good news. Do you know what this inscription says in Greek? That the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world through him. This is the hope that was Rome. This is the context that Paul writes into. Is it odd? Did you have the moment while you were reading this or hearing this? How much it sounded like a Christian message? Like, like, could you go through here? I mean, shoot, we even redate our calendar by the birth of Jesus the King, right? Anno Domini, A.D., year of what? Our Lord, year of the King, right? You could look at this and go through and, like, put Jesus' name in and it would be like, yeah, that sounds really good. Look at the claim that was Rome. But see, Paul comes along and he says, Romans, I got something to say. I want to tell you about a different gospel, about a different kind of good news that's happening in a radically different way. Because, see, the Jews had a different story. The Jews of Paul's day, of which Paul was one, had a very different story about this, this, this dawning golden age. Because unlike the people of Rome, Yahweh is Lord. God is Lord. Yahweh, the God of the universe, is the king of every era and every age. And they knew deep from their history, deep from their stories and lore, that this was the God who brought down the, the pride and the haughtiness of people, a God who brings down arrogance, a God who comes to the superpowers of the day, be it Exodus and Pharaoh in Egypt in their own story or Rome of Paul's day, and sees the boasting of people like this and gets a kick out of it. He laughs, he scoffs. Are you kidding me? Because the Jews knew that God was engaged in a rescue operation delivering his people from the powers of the day, from the injustice of the world, from the evil that, that we bring, that God was a God who was king. And it was his rule and his reign that they sought and wanted him to bring. Now, I want to invite you to take this story and bring it with me back into Romans. And look at what Paul has to say. Paul, a slave of King Caesar. No? Paul, a slave of King Jesus, called to be his ambassador, set apart for the gospel of God. 
the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus, the King, the Messiah, our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from every nation to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong in Jesus. It's like Paul pushes his opening, which could just be, hey, I'm Paul, you're Rome, let me tell you the gospel. But he starts pushing it from the opening to the breaking point. There's so much he has to say, so much to unpack. Let me tell you about a different gospel, a different piece of good news that God has to say. And let me root it for you in a specific way. See, way back when in Israel's history, there was another king, an ancient king, a king of a line much older than that of Rome. He was a king called David. And David was really the first through whom God began to set up his rule in his reign in this world. Now, it didn't come easy to David. There was bloodshed and betrayal. There was fighting. There was war. There was struggle and strife and conflict. But it comes a point in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament for Paul, or written by the prophets, one specifically named Samuel, where God comes to David. And for the gospel in Romans has something very significant to say. Listen to this. And think of Rome as I read. He says this. Yahweh declares to you that Yahweh himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over, and when you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. So, so David, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a house. And when your days are over, right, and you rest with your fathers, the kingdom doesn't end. Because I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. Imagine what it's like being a Jew, living in Rome, where they declare Caesar is Lord, and if you don't pay allegiance, a cross is waiting for you. Proclaiming him to be a king, a, a son of a god who's ushering in a golden age. Imagine what it's like to be in ancient Rome, hoping and yearning for that day. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Have you ever prayed that prayer? How long, O oh Lord? How long do I have to wait? How long do I have to endure? How long until what you said actually 
comes true. Imagine actually believing it as well. Believing that what God says, he will do. Imagine that kind of faith, hanging on, yearning, and hoping that the day would come, that there would come a day that even though our king is buried, one from his line, one from his dynasty would come to succeed him. So intimate in a relationship with God, so, so according to his will that it could be described as father and son with a kingdom that would last forever. And here's Rome, these Christians in Rome, suffering and struggling. Struggling under the king of their day, and Paul comes and says, but I have a different, a different piece of good news for you. And it leaves Caesar in the shade because there's a different king on the block. The ancient Messiah Jesus from an ancient line of David older than Rome a descendant of his line to whom God has made promises that his kingdom will never end, that he will reign, not some puppet propaganda son of God, a real son of God, a son of God proven by his resurrection from the dead. Not even Caesar can claim that. It's like Paul is saying, I've got different good news for you not Rome. Jesus reigns. And I'm here to tell you about it. Because see, whenever ancient Rome would, would have a military victory, conquer a new nation, expand the empire or the glory that was Rome, or if Caesar was coming to town, you know what they would do? They would send out heralds ahead of time to announce the gospel. The good news of Rome. Paul says, no, I'm a herald too, an ambassador of King Jesus, and I have got good news for you. No matter what is going on and no matter what you face, God's promises are true. Jesus is raised Jesus reigns. Because for Paul, the heart of his message is the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is the Messiah, Jesus, and his resurrection from the dead. For Paul, that means everything. And what God is up to in this world, his, his, his rescue operation and restoration business cannot be understood apart from Jesus the Messiah and his reign. Now, in ancient Rome, when the heralds would go out proclaiming the good news... It wasn't just like, hey, guys, I got some really got a juicy tidbit for you. Did you hear what happened over there on the eastern borders? Isn't that awesome? And everyone goes, oh, yeah, great, and they get about their day. When the heralds went out declaring the glory of Rome, it wasn't, you know, there's, there's, there's a new Caesar, and, you know, he wants a personal relationship with you, and uh, 
if you want your life to be better, maybe you should accept him. I mean, can you imagine that? No, they went out and said, there is a new king on the block. And he demands your, in their language, fides, fidelity, faith, allegiance. And what does Paul have to say? Look at 1 verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and ambassadorship to call people from all nations, from among the Gentiles. Would that include Rome and its empire and its people? To call them to what? The obedience that comes from faith. Because the gospel is not just good news for good news sake. It's, it's not just a message that we go, oh, that's interesting. It's not an advertisement as though we're to sit there and determine whether this is like a product we want to buy or not. For Paul, the gospel is always something so much more than that. It's royal decree. It's proclamation. It's decree and proclamation that energizes something and does something and makes a claim on this world and all that are under Jesus' reign. To those who are in Rome, to me, to you. And that's what Paul invites the Romans to do. To recognize that reign and pledge their allegiance. To recognize that king. Give him their trust. to recognize Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, and pledge faithfulness and loyalty to him. That is Paul's gospel. That there was a king of a different kind whose reign is very different than Rome's or the powers of today who claims this whole world as his own. Even you, to bring about God's rescue, restoration, and reclamation. And that it starts here today. So I think if Paul was here, this is what he would do. He'd invite you to begin today. He'll write later in Romans, um, anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, the Romans said Caesar is Lord, but he said this, anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, well, he uses the word, will be saved. I want to invite you to come face to face with that royal proclamation here today. To confess him as your Lord.
and proclaim your loyalty to him. So let's rise. Last week, we began looking at this, this, this passage of Paul. Say with me today, the good news, the royal proclamation of who Jesus is. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. King Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. I give myself for you. And after they ate, he took a cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, and he said, drink of this. All of you drink of this, because this is my blood of the new covenant, and this is shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come and remember. Come and remember. But do more than that. Pledge your loyalty to me. Welcome to the King's Table.